Hello, my name is Richard Bolas and welcome to the Dad Mindset Show, where I explore different perspectives on parenting with the aim of becoming less bad at being a dad. This episode, I chat with Will Howell, father, teacher, Ironman, and one of the people that I hold in highest regard when it comes to being a dad. Yeah, how could you possibly judge your kid? They're just kids. <laughs> you know, they're, they're so hilarious, man. You know what I mean? They just, they're hilarious. So we, we bring the baggage. We bring the stress. We bring, you know, the, you know, we bring all that, whatever negativity there is, we bring it, you know. I was privileged to spend a great deal of time with Will and his family when I lived in Tokyo, and I always looked on in awe at just how he brought up his daughter, Sam. And I've always wanted to find out how Will made parenting look so effortless and fun all at the same time. And um, in this conversation, Will shares many of his insights and approaches, not just in parenting, but in teaching as well. And I'm going to be trying all of them at home over the next few weeks. They were that good. Will currently lives on the Big Island in Hawaii, and this call was recorded over Skype, so please excuse some of the sound issues. Uh, it's totally worth it to get through because there is a load of gold here. Will has always been a role model for me, and hopefully through this conversation with him, you'll see why. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Will Howell. Will Howell, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, <laughs> it's been a long time coming, Will. I've been meaning to get you on the the podcast for ages. You've been uh, one of the biggest role models for me, actually, for being a dad. So thank you for for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Rich. <laughs> it's uh, it's been it's. It, I mean, can you give um, everyone a bit of a picture of where you're living right now? And, uh, yeah, I live um, on the big island of Hawaii. Um, it is the largest island in the Hawaii chain. And we live um, on the east side, which is um, kind of the rainforest uh, side with it, it's uh, I guess it's, it has more poverty than the other side. The other side has all the hotels, the sunny side, the beaches and stuff like that. This side is more of a, yeah farming agricultural type place gotcha so, and what do you do over there will i teach uh at a public charter school that's a hawaiian focused place-based learning um charter school and for what does charter yeah. school mean I, i'm not quite sure what that well it's a uh, charter school is basically like it's a public school but they the, the department of education and the board of education for each state realizes that um one size doesn't fit all Right. So it allows, even though they expect you to teach the common core curriculum, they um, they allow you to um, focus on other things as well. In, in our case, it's uh, teaching Hawaiian culture and um, song and dance and that kind of thing. Yeah. And when we were chatting earlier, you said that basically you you have a bit of leeway as well when it comes to what you're teaching and how you deal with the kids. Um, what what sort of things would you say you, you can do a little bit different or you try to be a little bit different with? Um, I think, yeah, we talked about it a, a while ago, I think, with the, with the hugging. Um, in, in regular schools here, the regular Department of Education schools, there's a no-hug policy for kids, and which is kind of ironic because that's how Hawaiians greet each other with a hug. 
a kiss <laughs> on the cheek. So, um, so like at um, my school, we um, we hug and um, I hug kids and they hug me and we kind of, even though we're still not quite supposed to do it, I think that's one one area where um, I've I've kind of pushed a little bit. Most of the kids need hugs. Yeah, we've discovered on this side of the island for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, the would there be like um, are there lots of kids coming from troubled families and so on? Like you say, that the other side of the island is very glitzy and glamorous, and yeah, there are a lot of um, our schools. What they call a title a title one school, which means every child in the school uh, qualifies for um, state assistance, financial assistance. They get free lunch, um, free breakfast at school. Um, so. Yeah, a lot of broken families, a lot of parents in jail, a lot of parents on other islands, and so the kids live with um, their aunts or uncles or friends. Yeah. Yeah. And what age would the kids be that you you work with? Uh, well, K through twelve, but I I focus on grades. Yeah, I got what's we'll a grades five through twelve. Yeah. I focus on that and age group. What got you into? I mean. Well, I suppose what took you to um, that school in particular? Because you you have worked in multiple education establishments over the years, haven't you? Yeah, so I was in working in Beijing, and I had a, and we were on our way back to Hawaii. And an old friend of mine, who happened to be the principal at this school, um, sent me an email and said, "Hey, we're looking for a fifth, sixth grade teacher," and the timing was just perfect. Um, I had we had worked together in Kona on the other side of the island uh, for two years, um, from 2004 to 2006. So yeah, he called me over and I said, mm, sure, I'll do it. Why not? And kind of to help him, and he was kind of helping me. So, um, and that's how that started. And it turned out to be a lot harder than I I had expected. Some of these kids, um, you know, in the fifth grade reading at a first grade level, you know, it's just. So many, so academically low. Our school is the second lowest in the state of Hawaii for um, the test scores, standardized test scores. So, um, yeah, so then I just stayed on. It was, um, you start really liking the kids. Kids are really, they have a lot of challenges, but they, um, yeah, they they wear on you. <laughs> you know, you, well, you want to stay. They were in you in many ways, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, ah, all right. Oh, I'm never coming back again. See you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. That's kind, of, that's kind of in the relationship, yeah. I mean, do you have any particular stories of, of kids that have really, you know, not, I don't want to say turned around, but really blossomed, I guess? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's every every year. And I know last year we had um, we had some – I had these four students, these four girls, they were friends and they, they, they were really kind of troublemakers and troublemakers as in they didn't want to pay attention and they, they went out of their way to, to um, be mischievous and didn't do their schoolwork and stuff. But this year, um, this year, last year, uh, they were in my sixth grade class and they'd matured over the summer. And, um, that was interesting. We had this, um, one case where, you know, they were, kind of mean to me, you know, without knowing it, say, Oh, you, Oh, you said, you said you owe us this, uh, you know, mean and stuff. And I, I told them, you know, 
hey man you hurt my feelings man that's not you know that's not cool i mean you can't treat i'm a human being i'm a teacher but i'm a human being right so i said oh okay well what how can we make it up i said once you write me a song and i wish i had the i have the song on video i should send it to you it's the most amazing thing ever they, they composed it on ukulele and by throughout the day and they came back and did the most amazing song to apologize I'll, I'll send it to you. That's cool. I totally oh, want to see that. You'll, 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 seriously, you'll get teary-eyed. It's so, <laughs> those girls are so talented. Yeah. So, oh, wow. But, and, and at the end of the day, that, that, that same group, the sixth grade group and the fifth grade group that I taught, they, um, they got the highest test scores of any group in our school, in school history. I mean, they just rocked for those two years. So, it, yeah, it was real challenge but um you know some really good kids really creative kids you know they live in an interesting uh, environment at home i mean parents <laughs> yeah but yeah when they they, uh, they did really well so it was very impressive yeah yeah and do you get many of the students coming back to the school afterwards yeah it's a it's, it's kind of an interesting story but we do we have a lot of returning students but we lost those four those four girls and a few others because our school is making changes. We're getting rid of our high school. Um, our school was destroyed by lava. Um, I guess it would be the March before last when Kilauea was erupting. And um, that's not yeah. something you normally hear. Someone yeah, say. it's not. So, and you can Google that. You can Google that. School is destroyed on the Big Island, and wow. that's ours. So we had to locate and move to a different yeah. facility. I mean, obviously, I'm taking everyone was okay. Like, <laughs> no yeah, one was hurt, had, obviously. Yeah, but it was just yeah, the timing and everything it was just um, wow, it was kind of tough. But yeah, but yeah, what what does that do to a community? Like, does everyone sort of does it galvanize the community and everyone gets around it, or is it just everyone's really low after something like that happens yeah that's i mean that's a hard mm, i know everybody was really down nobody wanted to be in hilo um the interesting thing about hawaii is it's all about place and our school was in the district of puna um and it's it was located right walking distance to the beach it was you know this most beautiful environment ever most beautiful campus it was the second school in all of america go to, to go totally solar i mean they were dehydrating you know tropical fruit and you know and everything in this band that they created the kids created with solar panels and everything so it's just amazing you know it's, we lost all that but you, i mean that can be rebuilt can't it is it it can't be rebuilt there anymore no oh wow yeah, it's like buried in lava, yeah. Oh, so the school is kind of undergoing an identity crisis. Um, and, I, again, I, you know, I don't think it's – well, I know it's not the children who are going having the identity crisis. It's the adults who invested their time and their, you know, everything into it. Yeah. It's a kind of adult thing as well, so. Gotcha. And, I mean, you, you mentioned, like, the, the adult thing there. It, do you think it is the, generally the case when there's adults that we place so much of our – preconceived ideas over something like a school and yet the kids can adapt to pretty much anything they're they're just trying to explore the world and and learn and yet it's usually the the adults that kind of not mess things up but make things hard i totally agree 
Yeah, I've been I've been saying that all year. It's the kids. They just want to learn. They're you know they're adaptable. That's what they do. They're all about that, right? Um, and here we have I suppose anywhere, but um, yeah, the parents and the community. It was the school was the dream, not of the children, but of the the adults. You know, having it all Hawaiian and chanting in every morning and learning hula and all this. Kids just want to learn in a safe environment, you know. Yeah. So they'll take it anywhere. Right. And so the rebuild has that sort of happened and gone gone ahead. Yeah, it's it's been um, pretty good. Last year was pretty tough. We don't have any, um, you know, books. We don't have too many books because that was all like destroyed in the lava. Um, so we rely on um, the internet and using online materials and stuff like that. So last year we didn't have. Uh, we weren't hooked up with Wi-Fi until like mid-year, um, but this year all that stuff's taken care of. So the facilities, for all intents and purposes, are um, pretty good, you know. But um, still, a lot of the, the the families live out in Pune, which is a forty-minute drive away. Oh, wow. So they're bused in every yeah. day. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. But the only the only ones complaining are the adults, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, that's they love, they love a long bus ride. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> um, do you think that's something you've seen across all the schools you've worked at? Um, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we think, and we know this. I mean, in in education, we all people go to school and they get their master's degrees and their PhDs, and their job while they're students there is to is to write papers and to get published and people are scrambling around to publish papers on just about anything and everything. And everyone has the, the latest, greatest idea that's going to change everything. But the kids just want to play. You know, they, you know what I mean? They want to be creative. They want, they want to put crayons in their mouths and they want to, you know, throw erasers at their buddies, but they also want to be, they also want to work. Yeah. You know, you give them a shovel and a rake and they're going to dig something up for you. You know, <laughs> they don't want to sit around. So, but we have all these, it's the adults that, you know, they place all these, uh, uh, constraints, constraints. And I, I, I was going to say limitations and this would mostly what they turn out to be. We, we put them in a box and say, work within the box, you know, you heard the old cliche thing. The truth is that, um, yeah, just opportunity and encouragement, you know, and a few supplies and these kids can do wonders. Do, do you have any examples of when you've, stepped outside the box with the kids and they've just gone nuts with it and loved it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even in 2004, the guy who worked, uh, who was teaching social studies in the next room over, he was also a, um, a carpenter and he had his tools there. And we had, uh, this old busted up desk that was in the, in our room, you know, for maybe the first two weeks of school and then teaching social studies, something to do with reconstruction or whatever, civil war and all that. And then, uh, yeah, kids were just like, you know, drifting off to sleep. And so we just stopped class and went over, we went over and put kids in groups and started rebuilding the table. Turns out it made a nice little computer center, you know, area. We, we actually fixed it and he, uh, the carpenter came over and he showed him how to use some of the hand tools. Stuff you can't do in a public <laughs> school, right? That's right. Yeah. That's another one. Yeah. Stuff you're not allowed to do. Yeah, and, and you just say, hey, we have this problem. Can you fix it? You yeah. Three, you know, I'll give you 10 minutes once you put your heads together so you should come up with. Sixth grade kids. Yeah. All across it. And they're all, yeah, they're all over it. So, yeah. 
And so do you do much more of that stuff in class as well? Like when you look at the curriculum, do you pull a bit out and go, right, totally not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. All the time. Yeah, all the time. It's, it, it, the curriculum is set up uh, so that any bonehead can do it. Any teacher walking in off the street, all you have to do is follow our well-organized and complete text. Yeah. And, you know, all the teachers edition and your kids will learn. And yeah, no. <laughs> you know, it's not. I mean, again, that, those are professionals kind of saving their butts, right? Yeah. No, we did our part. We made sure that we had all the stuff that's in Common Core that's expected for these kids to learn, right? So they, they should slam it, push it all in one, in one text, and expect that to, you know, expect kids to learn from that. So you can't. Doesn't work. Yeah, and I mean, because how many years have you been in education now, Will? Uh, roughly I don't know I'd say from 2000 what is it we're in now 2020 years wow okay we can say 20 years yeah yeah Yeah. and did you always have that mindset when you came into it or has it been a uh, yeah a a gradual learning process or was there there a particular moment when you're like hang on a minute this is this curriculum thing I need to just do things differently well, I think back, I mean, what really turned it around is back in the Aikido days when we were teaching um, techniques. And the way that I, the Japanese taught, where they would start with a demonstration, you model the technique, and then you let the, you let your students try to what mimic it or do it as best they can. And then it doesn't work. And But everyone who's doing the technique might make, well, they will make different mistakes, most likely. So that's differentiation. You're trying to figure out who's having troubles with what. This guy can't move his foot. This guy can't do can't do that. And from that point on, I knew that it was even though it was what it was one technique that everyone should be able to do. Everyone approaches it from a different angle. Yeah. So teaching in itself can't be addressed in one textbook. Yeah. It's impossible. So yeah, you have to know who you're teaching. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then and I have to say. Um, like the first time I actually met you was sweeping up the mats after a class and um, you were kind of like a celebrity to us because we'd read about you in in the book Angry Up Pajamas and so when I finally met you I was like holy shit you're Will from the book and you just came across as like this cool collected guy that just seemed to have everything wired tight and um, it was really interesting not not even known at the time that we were going to become like best mates when we we're in Tokyo and stuff, but you definitely straight away you you looked like you had things organized, you'd thought things through, and things were just I just think well prepared and planned. Now, was that always the case, Will? I've got to know. Had you always been like that, or was that something that just came on later in life? Yeah, you know, I honestly I don't know. I think everything is developed over time, right? And I remember um, we had a um, an M, uh, what do you call it a, a demonstration over here, right? So Kancho Sensei, Chita Sensei guys, they all came over to Hawaii. And one thing that Kancho Sensei, uh, anyway, Kancho said Sensei said before he um, when he was here, um, he said that I was a uh, Kigatsuku. I think we talked about that before. Kigatsuku means aware, right? And and I think in, in Japan, in martial arts, that's, that's a pretty big compliment. 
So, but I, it's not something that I, yeah, I think, I think growing up, I, in, yeah, my younger years, it was, it was always good. I think for me, it was a skill I learned early on to pay attention to people and, um, in order to, in order to stay where I was staying, right? Yeah. Not get kicked out of my foster home. Yeah. The, the faster you learn about people and their needs and their mannerisms and their, you know, everything, facial expressions, the sooner you figure them out, the, the easier it is to live there. Kind yeah. Of thing, you know, so it's kind of a defense mechanism growing up, I guess. Yeah. Cause I mean, you, you were born in LA, weren't you? But you grew up in Seattle. Like, can you tell yeah. us a bit about that? Um, well, most of those are black and white memories. I, I do remember the time I remember the most was in the mid seventies. We spent a lot of time outside. I had uh, three brothers and two sisters, and we spent a lot of time outside, running around through the woods. You know, um, the location's kind of now where the where the Microsoft headquarters is, but back then it was just all forest. So, um, yeah, just a lot of hanging around outside. Not much parent time. We'd come in for meals at call us in we come eat go back out and that was that we'd be back outside whatever but how long did you stay in seattle i mean is that because you you then went i mean can you tell us a bit about going into foster care yeah uh but parents they they divorced and it's kind of a it's kind of a messed up situation and you know i don't like talking about it too much only because so many other kids have it worse I mean, a lot worse, but yeah, they, they weren't done living, uh, their youth, I guess they had, had some unfinished business and they were both going about doing that and kind of, kind of neglected the kids. So yeah, across the board, it just, you know, messed with six kids. So I had friends at school, the school that I had gone to from the first to the sixth grade. And so the sixth grade um, is when they divorced. So I went to probably four or five different middle schools um, between seventh and eighth grade. I remember almost nothing about middle school except tipping over the Apple vending machine. You know, I just kind of tilted a little bit, apples roll out, <laughs> grab a couple apples, head outside. This was in seventh grade. I think I was with a buddy. I don't even remember. But we'd just walk around the outside of school all day long until it was over. That was middle school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was living with my father for a while, my mother for a while. And then um, I had a friend, my my older brother's best friend, his family um, said, hey, you know, if you ever need any help, give me a call. Give us a call. And I did. And I went and stayed with them for a little bit. And they just so happened to know um, a couple older people that were licensed foster parents. Yeah. And uh so I went over there and, you know, he had seven acres and he was planting, he was making meadows. And so he was removing rocks from meadows and planting grass. And he called me Jeremy for the first two weeks because that was my other friend who went with me. You know? <laughs> and eventually, yeah, eventually I stayed on there. He, he liked the way I worked. Yeah. You know, and that's what, that's, that's what uh, convinced him that it'd be okay. Shovels and rakes. To take it up. To take in a 14-year-old boy, I mean, who does that, right? Yeah, and that was Ben and Joe, was it? That was Ben and Joe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, can you tell us a bit about Ben? What was he like? Um, 
Yeah. War generation, Montana farm boy, eight kids in his family. He was somewhere up on the top. Uh, worked very hard. He was, um, when he was a kid, he would always be late for school because he had to walk his four mile loop in the morning and set his traps and go. He left school, snuck out of school earlier, left or whatever, because he had to check his traps on the way home. <laughs> what would he be trapping? You know, yeah, I don't even know. Rabbits, who knows? <laughs> trapping something. Yeah. But out in Montana, right, the fields and stuff. And so, um, yeah, then, but he didn't, he always valued education, but he didn't get to go because, of course, the war. Um, by the time he was ready, he went to, a, yeah, he was sent to Europe when he was 18. So he didn't have an opportunity to go to university. Yeah. So he just became a carpenter, like his uh, older brother, and just, just a working guy. Yeah. But, it, I mean, he was, you mentioned he was almost like a role model to you. What sort of things did you take from the way Ben treated you and, and lived? Yeah, I think he, he was just extremely, um, a very no-nonsense guy, very basic, a very basic guy. For example, you know, he thought that work could solve everything. You got a problem? Go work. Put your boots on. Go work. And um, that was refreshing. When, you, when you're a kid and you're going through stuff, you, you know, you're always in your head, especially when you're in puberty, right? I mean, you got all kinds of stuff messing with you there. But and he was very – I'd come home, and we had this thing where a couple of times I was going to court with my um, my real parents to try to get my independence. And anyway, I'd um, come back to the house all, like, you know, upset and annoyed and sad and all this, disappointed maybe at my parents. He'd listen. We'd be in the living room having cookies. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's pouring down rain. It's Seattle. And he'd say, you know, hey, put your boots on. We'd go outside and start digging up stumps because we're building, we're working on the meadows, always working on creating meadows. So we chopped down trees and you had to pull out the stumps, right? So you had to dig around the stumps, right? <laughs> so there I was out there with him in the rain digging up stumps. The smell of dirt, right? You know, that kind of mossy, it's, you know. It's, it's, it's real. Every, it's fully real. Gritty, sweaty, hot. Uh, I'm just talking about everything. I keep talking. I'm talking. I'm talking. And he's going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he just disappears, right? I'm out there. I'm just working, not thinking about a thing, just, you know, <clears throat> in the dirt, you know, energy, just, you know, just burning it. And um, I'm trying to dig up that stump. And then go dawned on me that he wasn't around. And going, I went in the... Uh, into the house and there he was all cleaned up eating cookies and having coffee so feel, he goes he said you feel better <laughs> go, ah i mean that sums up ben harwood right there yeah you know that's what he that's that was his gift awesome have you have you actually replicated anything like that with the girls because i mean before we uh, well i suppose can you just tell us um you know you've got two two kids yeah I've got a 25-year-old and 11-year-old. Yeah. So uh, did you actually ever replicate anything like that with those those guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose in a – yeah. In, in a different uh, way. They, they didn't have, I don't think, that the, the mental stress that I, I had when I was younger. So it, it wasn't applicable most of the time. 
Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> so, what other things do you remember about Ben? Like, what what other things stick in your memory? Uh, he was always um, well. They both were, but yeah, I'd come home from school or from you know going out with my friends. You know, I was driving when I was seventeen, so. I'd come home at sometimes 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and they would be reading in the living room. You know, Reader's Digest mostly. Joe liked to read the newspaper and do crossword puzzles. They sat there silently all the time. And I'd come home, and they'd just put it down and just stare at me. Open for conversation, you know, open to talk about anything. Always, always there, always present, always available. Yeah. Wow. I think that that was that was it. Thought, but they might have thought I was pretty interesting too. So I mean, I was so much younger than they probably never expected they'd have a fourteen-year-old in their house at that age. They're in their fifties, right? Yeah, fifties. Like so do you think that was a superpower of them compared to probably. parents today? Almost. I, I you know I don't know. I honestly don't know. I I I do know that there's a lot of yelling going on. You know, a lot of that, that kind of people set that kind of um, you know, my neighbor, for example, nonstop yelling at their kids and they're in the same house. Right. That kind of thing. I, I just think that there's not enough listening. It's like a lot of people are just waiting to talk. Does that make sense? It totally does. Across the board. And I think, yeah, so adults, we have you know, it's, it. It just makes creates more harmony if you just listen. And then, you know, you don't have to agree with everything, but there's no reason to, you know, to not listen. Listening is everything, I think. Yeah. But. And, I mean, it totally sounded like that was exactly what Ben would do. You know, he'd just be going, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he wouldn't ever sort of interject advice at all. It was literally just a one-way stream, was it? Pretty much. Uh, they were... They were, he was very firm about um, certain things when I was trying to, there's just, I can't remember the term for it. When a, some, when a minor tries to gain independence from their parents um, so they can actually get help from the state, right? So they right. get some financial. And that's what you were going through, wasn't it, Will? That's what I was trying to do, yeah. But, you know, here it's like, uh, you know, they, their big goal is to reunite children with their parents and, all it takes is a parent to say, oh, no, he can live with me anytime kind yeah. of thing. So that happened one time and and I, and uh, with my mom. And uh, so they he said I needed to get on a bus and they took me to the bus station and take this bus, you know, three hours north of this town called Cedro Woolly, Washington. And then I hitchhiked. Uh, actually, I walked. I had it in my head I would hitchhike, but I was too afraid. I walked, it was another five miles to her house and I went in there and she was with her boyfriend and um, he gave me a really hard time and I gave her a choice. She said, I said, you can, you said you were in court, you said you were going to take me in and now here you're not going to do that. You know, and that was that. So then I walked back, caught the bus and went back to Seattle. But he was very adamant that it was something I had to do, you know. So he, he'd listen to everything, but when he had an opinion, he said it. He goes, no, you've got to get on that bus. You have to do it. You know, you have to be proactive. This is your life, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
So you, you have to go and talk to your mother about this. You have to take control of your life. Yeah. It's a big message all the time. Why? Okay. And at what point did you decide to go to Japan? Uh, <clears throat> well, I worked for the airlines for quite a while for United Airlines and a small commuter airline in Seattle. Um, so I didn't start university until I was 22. I went to Washington State and um, was there for one year. And I was paying for everything with student loans. So this opportunity came up. And I always wanted to travel just to get out of my environment, right? The opportunity came up to go on a study abroad program at uh, Nihon University, and it was free. I didn't have to pay tuition, right? And they, they actually paid me to live in that prefecture. I was paid 600 bucks a month and the housing. So I was, I actually was making money by going to Japan. So I said, <laughs> eh, okay, never been in Japan. You guys are paying, I'm going. So that was really it. And then, um, of course, I, you know, as a, as a younger guy, I had that interest in World War II. And, uh, of course, Ben was, he was in Germany, but, you know, I knew quite a bit about the Pacific War and everything. So I figured, yeah, could be interesting. So I went for two years. Yeah. And two years turned into how long? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where I got my beautiful girls, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, tell us a bit about that then. So. Um, at what point did you meet um, Chiharu? I met her a year and a half into the two my years. stay. So, yeah, my two years. And, um, she lived, I thought she lived in Tokyo, which was a very convenient, um, they have the, the Kodama bullet train, which is the, the slowest one, but it, it takes an hour to get to Tokyo from, from the campus. So I took it up there and, and with a buddy, and we went up there to go drinking on a Friday night or something in Roppongi went to a bar and um, yeah, there she was with two other friends and, you know, I wanted to practice my Japanese. So I went up there and I go, man, you know, started speaking Japanese to her and felt getting all confident and everything and feeling like, yeah, I'm doing this, man. I'm living in Japan, speaking the language. And she put up with it for maybe 20 minutes. And then um, she excused herself, went to the bathroom, and came back out. And she said in the perfect American accent, so, what part of the States are you from? <laughs> it's like, whoa, oh, what a buzzkill. I mean, whatever drinks I had at the time, which is, I was, it was just like, gone. <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> That's how it started. But it, it definitely uh, it, it worked out for you in a really big way. But, I mean, yeah. um I always wondered how the heck you managed being so busy, especially when you were having, um, you know, um, Sam. So Jaro was pregnant with Sam when you were doing the Sensei course at the dojo and working. Like, how did you hold that together? I'm not sure I did, to be honest with you. I don't know. It's There are only 24 I, hours in not... the day. <laughs> well, there are, but I think it's the, you know, again, it's a, Hey, when you have a child, for me anyway, I knew instantly that I wanted to be a father. I was rather uncertain about being a husband. I didn't know how that worked. But I knew I could be a good father. And I don't know how I knew that. I just wanted to have kids. So, and I knew that then, right? The, the day she said she was pregnant, I knew that was a great thing. So, 
I never saw um, Samantha as work. I mean, I could be up all night with her and be tired and all that kind of stuff. And then all I had to do was move my body in the dojo, right? Yeah. Eat as much as I could and try to survive another day. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's all that was about. Yeah. And then going to work after that was, uh, I only worked half of the year. I couldn't work the full year. I was too, I was too tired, but, um, kept almost falling asleep on the job. So, but my priority was being a father, not Aikido and definitely not teaching English. Yeah. But, um, you made the move into, um, universities after that, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us a bit about, um, your relationship with Sam. Because I used to watch you guys in awe. Because Sam would have been, I think, maybe seven when I first met you, uh, six or seven. And you just, you seem to be like the the Uber dad. You guys had an amazing relationship. You just like hanging out. And I, I want to say best mates, but I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, a lot of parents want to be best friends with their kids. But then the whole thing falls apart because it's not really an equal stepping i what can you describe how your approach to you know raising sam yeah you know i think it's, it's kind of tough you know I've, I've given this a lot of thought but i think what it boils down to is um she was a an uber daughter you know what i mean it's not it's not one-sided where the parent can come in and just make things work. I mean, uh, the child has to be receptive to that. And I think what made her receptive to, um, I don't know, hanging out and liking it and, you know, digging, digging our relationship was that just, we spent a lot of time together and, um, hanging out and just talking. And I try not to, from the very beginning, I tried not to judge. And this goes back to how I was raised and stuff or how I wasn't raised. You know, just, you know, what do you have to offer in the conversation kind of thing, right? I'm, I'm here. You're here. Tell me about what's going on in your head. Oh, well, I pulled the legs off a grasshopper today and so-and-so brought something. Oh, wow, man. That's pretty gross. Um, how'd you feel about that? Well, it's kind of scary at first, but, oh, well, okay. That's interesting. And just kind of developing a conversation around something random. And then just built trust, I guess, over time that I wasn't going to, I don't know, try to try to control her too much or try to, you know, I just, just wanted to hang out and hear what she had to say pretty much. I think, I think in time, I mean, she did too for a whole long time. Of course she got older and she still does, but, um, yeah, just hanging out with your kids, man. And just treating them like humans, treating them like people, asking questions, not trying to, not trying to win anything, you know, not looking for that space to interject, you know. And definitely not judging. Yeah. How could you possibly judge your kid? They're just kids. <laughs> you know, they're, they're so hilarious, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just, they're hilarious. <laughs> so we, we bring the baggage. We bring the stress. We bring you know, the, you know, we bring all that, whatever negativity there is, we bring it, you know, even, a, even the competitiveness in this country, right? You know, I see it with soccer, you know, these dads out there, everyone's just like, you know, go, go, go. 
even the language, right? Volleyball. What do they call it a kill? How many kills did you get? Do you mean aces? We used to call it aces when I was growing up. So when we start killing things, this is so competitive. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. Volleyball. You guys are all happy out there, right? Playing <laughs> it's, volleyball. A, it's a game. <laughs> there's crush it. There's kill it. There's what else? I don't even know. But yeah, just just having, I don't know, man, just having conversation, being open to talking to your kids. Yeah. Was it very different with Summer? She was a really hard baby. And, uh, and she, when she was born, it freaked out my wife, Chiharu, big time. She was so freaked. She had some a couple, couple nervous breakdowns. I think I probably told you that. Yeah, it was pretty scary. But yeah, so what brought us over here was, you know, I was working over there and still watching Summer. Mom would drop her off in the morning at the daycare, and I'd, I'd pick Summer up at four or five o'clock. And then, so I'd be with Summer until, you know, she went to bed at night, bath, we went to the supermarket, came home, made dinner, she took a bath, you know, read to her, danced around the living room, stuff like that. <laughs> goofing, and, goofing around. Yeah. And it just, there came a time when I think Chiharu, you know, it's, this is, this is something that we, we didn't think that we were, it, we're going, we could have another child. So there's like 14 years difference, right? Or something like that. And it just really freaked, it freaked us both out that we, we kind of saw that our, you know, all that we were finally at the point where our, our Samantha was, um, more independent we could, we could start doing stuff together, you know, going out and having dinner and all romantic stuff and whatever. And then, uh, boom, <laughs> you have another kid, your whole life, the rest of your life is planned until you're in your sixties. <laughs> and no, it, oh, we laugh, but you absolutely, it's like one of these things where, holy cow. Yeah. Here we go again. But, and this, this girl happened to be very hard night terrors. You know, she, you know, um, she had couldn't breastfeed as much this time around because so many years had passed and, you know, however the body mechanics work and she wasn't able to produce enough milk. So we were feeding her a bottle with a bottle. Of course, Summer had to have the right, the right nipple what do you call it the, the <laughs> amount of oh, yeah. flow that comes to the, the plastic <laughs> nipple thing yeah. and she, you know it's just everything was a frustration for her everything she was pinching kids at school biting kids we were getting calls and all that kind of stuff so it turns out i told you harder that I'm, we have we had a house here in hawaii that we live in now already i said i'm i gotta take her to hawaii samantha was already heading off to college at the University of Washington. So it was just summer and I. So we jumped on a plane, came back here. Yeah, because you ended up working at the school where she went to school as well, didn't you? Um, not where Summer went to school. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, so then we're here. And then long story short, this is almost actually still a long story because she's still doing it very well. The one thing that that really um calmed summer down gave her peace was the water so we went to the ocean it's like a little lagoon that has brackish water fresh and salt and cold and all that put her in the water and she was a different person completely different it was like uh, uh what the one thing that she needed what last week two weeks ago 24 minute mile <laughs> in the oh, open ocean 
That's cranky. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, so, and then, and now she's, you know, an honor student and, you know, she's an amazing athlete and tall and beautiful and calm. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. Calm. Why? Yeah. Quite a journey. Been a long road. Yeah. <laughs> So what what advice would you give yourself if you were to go back to you know those early days with summer? Yeah, you know it's advice that I I don't know. I knew at the time, I think, you know, just be present, you know. You got to be there. You know what I mean? You really do to a large extent have to give up your life. I know we don't like to talk about that in definitely in this country, right? But you kind of do. You have to give up your life and your life is no longer your own. So you have to have a very high commitment level. I don't it just even if it's just hanging out and talking to your kids, letting them, you know, know that you're there kind of thing. So no, I have to have no great advice that I would tell myself other than be in the moment, right? Don't sit there and try to go do something else. Can we talk about this later? I want to get this done. Don't do that. Just I'm on the, the phone. Moment. I'm looking at yeah. something here. Yeah, no, just put it down and just talk to your kid because they're coming to you for a reason. You know. Yeah. I used to, I used to talk to Chiharu when uh, some, when our, uh, Samantha would walk by. And very Japanese, they, they don't give a lot of physical attention, right, to kids, to anybody. They don't, very touchy. Whenever Samantha would walk by, I, I had asked Chiharu just to stick her hand out. Just to make contact. Just let her know you're here. Yeah. Tap. She walks by. Anything. Be in the moment. You know what I mean? But, I mean, you say that you sort of gave up your life, but you've done Ironman and stuff like that as well. Like, how did you fit all that in, Will? Alongside with being a parent. Again, I didn't fit it in very well, probably. You know what I mean? I mean, it wasn't like breaking any records. It's something... It was something that was, I just, you know, I want to keep moving. You know, I like, I like, you know, me, I like moving. And, um, so that's just where that came from. And actually, you know, running, um, is what gave me balance in my life. Aikido for a long time, but I think ultimately it was running. And for summer, it's the swimming that gets her balance for Samantha. It's teaching and she wakes up at four o'clock in the morning and she does her, um, work out at the gym, you know, 4 a.m. before she goes to the teach fifth grade. Why? So it's part of the family. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, has Summer shown any um, sort of uh, inclination towards teaching as well as Sam? What do you think uh, she'll not, do? Not yet. I mean, I, I mean, she she might. Um, I don't think that's entered her mind just yet. She's, I, I'd like to give her as many opportunities as possible. You know, um, she can make her, she can make those choices later. Yeah. What, what sort of opportunities would you put in front of her? Well, I think she should just work hard on her education. And, um, so she knows athletics now, um, later on we'll be able to, you know, we have an observatory here. So there's this, you know, astronomy and there's, there's, um, oceanography all things are connected to the ocean too but um 
last, not this summer, but last summer we went to, she and I went to, um, London, we went to London only for three days. Um, you know, to Paris and then Rome. I just travel around. She spent a year in Beijing to show her things and see what she likes, you know, just keep her out there and have her exposing her to different things. How did she react to the different, I mean, you said you obviously you moved from Tokyo to Hawaii initially, but what was the Beijing year like? That must have been totally different again. Yeah, I none of us liked it. I mean, it was, it was Chihado, me, and uh, Summer. And I have to admit, I hated it. You know, I I will never go back there again. <laughs> Just I, the, the pollution and the, the happy aggressiveness that the Chinese have. Very carefree, but still aggressive and still annoying. And um, But again, that's that's just because I'm not used to their culture. I'm not trying to put it, you know, yeah. come down on the Chinese. I just, it's just not a place where I could live. And it's also a very big city, which adds to it. Um, well, I remember you talking about the pollution because obviously you wanted to get out and run and train and both of you were yeah. sort of confined to the gym. Yeah, no, it was, it was really, really... Um, not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Education wise, how would you say the different sort of countries approach um, schooling? What did you notice there that was different? Well, you know, I was at an international school. So, you know, the Chinese public schools are different than the international schools, as are the Japanese public schools. Um, yeah, still in Asia. I'm generalizing, but China and Japan, for sure, they're still structured in the old the old way, textbook, you know, grind it out, memorize everything. International schools are, um, they use like um, the international primary curriculum developed in England. And um, um, the um, international baccalaureate, and that's uh, for secondary, mostly. They do have the, the primary years program. But... It's more more international, more fluid, more creative, and all that. Yeah. Gotcha. So, um, of all the, just to take a little bit of a step back, with with both your daughters, what have you been your favorite activities to do with them? I mean, with Summer, it sounds like getting in the water. What about Sam? Mm, I think with Samantha, it's always been eating. Cool. I think we got that. We got that from Japan. You know, there's so many different restaurants and stuff, and the girl just likes to eat, which probably explains why she's in the gym so much. You know? um, she loves cooking, and but we have such great conversations about food. Um, we have great conversations while eating food. It's just something that we've always enjoyed doing together. Um, summer is not quite that way, you know. She get both elbows up on the table, kind of defensively guarding her food. She <laughs> wants to pound it, you know, pound it, and then move on. Yeah. Do you have any sort of rituals within the family, like um, things you do every week at a certain time or a place that you always go? Um, let me think about that. I would um, maybe if you can count. I don't know if you are familiar with the show Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Summer loved watching that show. <laughs> we find ourselves pretty much every night watching reruns of Parks and Rec. Awesome. We've, been doing that for, we've been doing that for three years or something. I don't know. And we just sit around and we just talk about the day and watch that and laugh and get up and grab food. And 
we don't do it for hours, but you know, it, yeah. after swimming and stuff like that, you know, just kind of unwind just some happy, you know, lightweight humor. Yep. It's kind of, you know, punctuate the day. Yeah. We don't do anything, you know, um, you know, I guess we don't have any other rituals, really. You know. We got rid of the we have a, dining, we have a dining room table, but we got rid of the chairs. How's that work? Well, we got rid of the table as well, actually. Oh, gotcha. So, so it's just lying around. Yeah. Yeah. So we moved in a moved in a like a what do you call it? Like a bar. Some we got from IKEA, right? They have these little bar things. It takes a, takes an hour to put together, two hours, whatever. Yeah. But it's a, it's at like belly button height. Gotcha. So yeah. we, stand, we don't sit down and eat dinner. We stand around and eat dinner. Right. Like in a noodle bar. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's just it just seems it's because you can move your feet, you know, and we're talking, and we don't feel like uh, it's um, I don't know. We all seem for some reason it just happened kind of naturally. Yeah. And uh, we kind of enjoy that. We'll still be there for 30 minutes, but we're just not sitting down. That's cool. I, I think I might have to try that because for Amelie, she just doesn't want to sit at the table. She's up and moving around and stuff. Maybe we just yeah. need to get her standing next to the table. Absolutely. I like yeah. it. I, yeah, why not? I mean, we, we know where these traditions of sitting down and eating you know, come from. Um, and they're good. I mean, if it brings the family together. But it's one of those things that... Um, doesn't feel so imposed if you're able to move around a little bit. And it sounds like you're definitely making up for that outside of that situation anyway, because you're hanging out with them, listening to them, talking to them all the time anyway. Whereas a lot of families, I imagine it's the one time of the day where everyone gets to sit down and, and talk and the rest of the time they go their separate ways. Yeah, we're always, I, I could show you on my phone, I'm not going to, but every day how much Samantha and I text. Not not like long drawn out kind of creepy you know, you know, just, just touching you know. base. Yeah. So she'll be upstairs in the morning. And I go, I, I just write coffee question mark and she'll write back. Yep. You know, <laughs> during the day, you know, she'll be going somewhere and I'll ask her, you know, whatever, just little, little brief, little tidbits. Yeah. How's your day? I good. You know, just little things, just touching base, just putting a hand out, you know, like we used to do when she'd walk by as a kid here, you know, do the same thing with summer but she doesn't have a phone that she she has a phone but she doesn't um you know she's a student so she's not allowed to have it with her yeah gotcha i like that the um another thing as well like i remember when you'd be talking with sam you'd often sort of i remember the word knucklehead and things like that but you had a yeah. very light-hearted way of saying hey what did you do that for you know that kind of thing do you think that was your approach to, I, I don't want to say discipline, but, you know, sort of defining what was kind of where you thought as a family you worked? Do you get what I'm well, trying to ask? Yeah, and it's it's a classic teacher move as well. It's something that works, you know. The classic thing is, are you doing the right thing? And then... Do you know what the right, you know what I mean by right thing? Let's talk about right things. Um, okay. And then, all right, then are you doing the right thing? No. Do you think you should? Yes. Then go ahead. I haven't told you to do anything. 
you know what's right already, you know what's wrong already. You don't need me to tell you. You just need to say it. I think that's worked really well with, with both both the girls. They already know the answer. They don't need to be scolded. They just need to be reminded that they're not, you know, that they, um, they need to think about what they're doing or if they're not doing the right thing, then they need to change what they're doing. Yeah. Get right. Can, can you run me that past me again then? So how would you actually start that conversation? Would you just, would it be okay? Hey, Summer, and what would you, what would be the first thing you'd say? Well, depending on the situation, right? Yeah. So, okay. So for example, we have a cast iron sink and she's washing dishes and she's putting, um, a sharp knife in the sink and there are glasses in the sink and I'm going, okay, so you have glasses in the sink. Well, do you think that's a, a good idea? I'm just curious. I mean, it doesn't matter to me, but what problems do you think? What, what potential problems could happen by having glass in the sink? What do, what do you think? You can leave them there if you want. I'm not telling you to move. I'm not judging you. What do you think? Well, they could probably break probably. And if they break it, then what happens potentially? Yeah. Oh, my cut my hand. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you, and even if you don't and you wash in, you know, and you, you wash the glasses and you put them on the rack, everything's good. You still have that sharp knife in there. What, what do you think could happen with the sharp knife in the sink? You know, again, you can leave it there. I'm just asking you, you know, just looking at stuff. Well, maybe I cut myself. Yeah. Or, you know what? Dad comes along and cuts himself because it's <laughs> most likely to happen. Yeah. Right. But, so just, you know, a little introspection. It's, um, why do you, why do, why are you doing what you're doing? And is it the right thing? Is it the best thing? And do you think you should make changes? I'm, you don't have to, you know, but yeah, I, I love what you add there, the, that you don't have to, like, I'm not actually judging you. I'm, you know, I'm not saying you have to, I'm just asking. And, and I guess that takes a, a huge amount of trust as well to know that you're, there isn't a hidden agenda that you're sort of pushing. It's not, you're not trying to, force her to do something but you are honestly asking her to answer questions around that decision yeah but let's be honest too with that knife right if she puts the thing away and she leaves the knife in the sink i, I would say something like hey okay i was all cuddly with you for a few minutes now get the knife out of the sink before <laughs> someone gets <laughs> i mean there's a bottom line right yeah but i'm giving you an opportunity to do the right thing and if you're going to sit there and you know you're going to try to play me on it now get it out of the sink now Gotcha. So you would you would lay the the law down well, if at the she... end of the day. Well, because they're gonna your kids will also play the game with you too. They'll play. Okay, so I don't have to. I'm gonna leave it. They could, you know, they, they don't always do it. They need to know that, you know, there's love behind all this kind of stuff. I'm trying yeah. to help you out here. I'm spending time with you on this when I could be doing something else. But I've been talking about it. But uh, at the end of the day, you need to be safe. You have to take care of your sister. You take care of me. No one needs to get cut, right? So just pull it out. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. I'm glad you added you're that. Given, you're given the opportunity to uh, do the, do right, the right, thing. right thing. Gotcha. And they, usually they, they take it. You know? Yeah. Have you had any situations where you've had like like problems with the girls that you've really like struggled to deal with? I mean, that you can think of right now? Yes. Toilet paper rolls. When they use them, right? You got these empties around everywhere. 
You know what I'm saying? You use the I toilet do. paper, you got the cardboard roll. <laughs> yeah. They just leave it all over the place in the bathroom. They just leave it on the floor. Usually the just counter. on the floor underneath where the toilet yeah. roll holder is. So I just take them because I don't use the upstairs bathroom very often. I just take them if I find them and I throw them in the toilet. <laughs> so they have to deal with it. They have to deal with it. <laughs> you can't flush it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But that's that's never gonna change. I mean, they'll always play that one on me. So that's okay. I'm game. Yep. Not the end of the world. I got my own toilet. Yep. <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> okay. Well, um, is there anything you'd like to mention, Will? Do you have any anything that you're working on at the moment that you want to give a shout out to, or just anything in general, like a advice for dads yeah well i don't have time to be working on projects unfortunately i've got too many other things happening but um and our school's doing well so i think we're okay for now but um i'll hit you up for donations later on if we want to turn this big old winnebago into a library that we have but yeah i don't know i, I just think you know being a father, you, you really got to want to do it, right? You know, you got to want to do it because if you don't want to do it, it's not going to get done right. Yeah. So, and it's not, it's, it takes, I think for me anyway, it takes constant thought, not anxiety, but thought, you know, and something that we talked about in the dojo years ago. And I learned in the dojo actually, you know, you know, do, do what you can, not always, you know, what you, what you should, or what's been laid out for you to do, do what you can. Right. So, you know, as a parent, it's the same way as a kid, it's the same way. You know, if you're, if you can be there for your kid, do it. If you can put your paper down and just listen to your kid complain and whatever, yell, do it. You know, if you can be in the kitchen, helping wash dishes, do it. Yeah. You know, we're all busy doing something, right? But if you can be there, then be there. And I say it the same thing to my daughters. Do what you can. It's really important. You're walking by that thing. You can pick it up and you can put it in the garbage. You can help your sister, right? Yeah. I I really like that point that you mentioned earlier, Will, about you thinking things through. You know, you really have to do that. What sort of... It's almost like a deliberate approach that you take to being a father. Like what things, like what would you put out there as like, this is what I thought through about my approach with this, or this is what I thought through my approach to that. Anything that sticks out? Well, I, I know for sure something that got me into education in the first place was when Samantha was born. It we were living in Japan at a time when there, you know, we didn't really have the internet really. There weren't any online, you know, um, resources for uh, second language learners. So I knew back then that I, I needed to learn more about how to teach her English in an all Japanese environment, right? So that's why I got my first master's degree in education was to learn how to learn what was what, you know, and how to how to teach this kid English. So I think one thing proactive I did, oh, the whole thing was proactive, but I, something I did that I liked, um, I used to leave notes for her everywhere, little post-its everywhere in the house. 
and she'd find them and read them and she'd respond to them. Not all of them, but just little things like, hey, how you doing? Little jokes and stuff. Um, I hid the red ball, you know, somewhere in the kitchen, see if you can find it. And so she liked the game and she liked that's, you know, she even today she likes reading and I hope that's had something to do with it. But just little ways to figure out how you can keep your kid engaged in life. Doesn't have to be learning, but just engaged, you know. I think that was that was one thing. But there, there, there are a lot. But sometimes they're not so obvious until they're right upon you, you know. Yeah. Awesome. Is that too vague? No, no, no. It's great. I'm, I'm just thinking, actually. Like, yeah, I'm totally going to try that. I, uh, I, I have been trying to leave little notes. I've been putting little notes in the lunch boxes for the girls when I remember. So, uh, and, and that's been really cool. Um, although they haven't come back with any feedback from that in particular, but when I've left a note somewhere else, like I actually invited them to, to break pancakes one morning, I was just like left it in their room cause they, they weren't making their way to the kitchen. I just put a little invitation out for them and stuff like that. So I, I love the idea of exploring more of the notes leaving them around for them, but having an activity like, hey, I've uh, hidden this thing. See if you can find it. That sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have a play with that too. I have been meaning to pick your brains for ages because you definitely stand head and shoulders above everyone else I know about parenting. So please take that as a an well, honest thank you. compliment. I, uh, I do. Thank you. I don't, But I honestly don't know what I do other than just give it thought and care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Put some thought into it. So. Oh, you certainly do. Will. you, from the outside looking in, you, you're nailing it. So I know, I know you probably don't feel like that, but, um, it definitely appears that way. And, and to us lesser mortals that are still, <laughs> you know, occasionally sharing at the kids and stuff, which, you know, I'm still, yeah, it sounds really bad when I say it, it doesn't happen very often, but it has happened. And I don't want to do it. I don't want to be that person. So I'm I'm definitely keen to apply some of the things you've suggested. Well, one of the one of the uh, some I learned from a, a teacher once. I learned two things that would are very very important for communicating with kids, if they're, especially if they're really starting to piss you off. Go go silent, not silent, but just drop your voice don't have any distance between you come closer and say, just, you know, you know, and just have a conversation. You know, I do it with students at school. I do it with the girls, you know, we're not yelling. We're not going to do that. Right. Let's go talk. What's on your mind. And just that nice voice, calm, not nice voice, a calm voice, but also the voice that says, you know, I'm going to listen to only so much of it. And then you're going to pull your head out your ass. You know, that kind of thing, because let's, let's not lose, you know, you know, perspective. My job is to take care of you and I'm good at it. and You'll love me. OK, so you say your piece. Right. And then let's forget about it and move on. That kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just most important thing. And, and this is why I was so successful last year with the kids that I taught. I mean, I had someone from Minnesota who does our data analysis she came over and she was like all excited and treat me like a rock star no one in this school has ever gotten these the cool kids right our school's kids 
to meet the state average for these test scores ever. What did you do? How did you do And how did you do it? Like, no lie, really like, so I mean, I spent, took me maybe four months for the kids to trust me. So I didn't push it. I waited for the trust to come and then we hit it. So it's, you know, you try to piece me, you know, it's give them a little bit of, you know, you go through it and you try to engage them in, in academic learning. And, but really the first three, four months is all about building relationships and gaining trust and defining, defining the relationship. So yes, you know, I, I'm pretty friendly with the girls and everything, but they'll tell you that it's, um, I have a job and the business end of my job is to make sure that they're taken care of. Right. And that's my job. And no one's going to prevent me from doing that. Not even you. Yeah. Right. And they understand their job. Your job is to do this and to do that. That's your job. Right. Someday you can do this one, but right now this is my responsibility. You need to respect that. And it's the same thing applies in school. You know, kids are, you know, they're bouncing back and forth because they're all messed up from their home lives and stuff, but they just need to know whether they know it or not that, you know, this is how it is. This is the business end of this relationship. Okay. Business is done. Whatever. Have a cookie. I brought, yeah, of course I brought snacks. Not supposed to, but I don't care. Have a cookie. (laughs) I feed them cookies randomly, whatever. They'll be working on something. I'll just walk around, give them snacks. Well, what are we getting a snack for? Well, because I love you guys. Why wouldn't I give you snacks? <laughs> you know, no, most teachers, the approach most teachers, if you finish this, I'll give you a cookie. So yeah. then you're going to get shitty work. If you're going to get whatever. I don't know. I, I, you don't owe me anything. I just want to give you a cookie. Is that okay? And then you just continue on with your day. You're probably hungry, right? right. Always had food. And eat and work. It doesn't cost you a thing. So... They build trust over time and then, then you can work with them. So like it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, well, this has been fantastic. It's been really good to uh, catch up with you. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your, your insights with uh, the, the rest of the guys out there as well. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I really just try to, like everybody else, we're trying to figure it out as we go along, but um, it's good to to keep thinking about it, you know? You got to keep thinking about it, you know what I'm saying? Well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and took away even just one insight or approach. If you did like it, can I ask a small favor? that you leave a quick written review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps me gain feedback and know what type of content you like and find useful. And to be quite honest, I get a real massive buzz out of it as well. So uh, I really appreciate it if you could take just a minute to uh, write a quick review. Also, if you know anyone else who might enjoy this podcast, please introduce them to it. Word of mouth helps so much. And if you'd like to reach out to me personally, uh, please just email rich at thedadmindset.com. Well, that's it for now, from me for now. Don't forget that it's Father's Day in Australia soon. Have an amazing week. And in the meantime, enjoy your caffeinated beverage.